You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. This is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. Welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. This week we continue our Strongest Town contest. We are down to the final four, and I am chatting this week with each of the four contestants. Uh, today we're going to chat with Kent, Ohio. Uh, Kent beat San Marcos, Texas in the first round. They beat Niagara Falls in the second round. And now they are squaring off against Pensacola, Florida. And I have the city manager of Kent, Dave Roller, on the line. Dave, welcome to the Strong Downs Podcast. Hey, Chuck. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Hey, I'm, I'm really happy to have you guys. First of all, congratulations. Uh, I, I love your submissions and I love the energy. Um, Why did you guys decide to, 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 to try the Strong Downs Contest this year? Well, you know, the organization has been on our radar screen and... Uh, you know, it's one of those things when your your values kind of resonate with another organization, and in this case, it seemed like it was a natural fit. And frankly, we've been stealing ideas from you guys for a while now. <laughs> Wonderful. And uh, so, you know, we're happy to to do something like this. And honestly, we have a young man in my office who's pretty much fresh out of college. He's got a lot of energy, and uh, he he put me up to it. He's like, "Let's do it." You know, we're, I know we're busy around here, but. Um, we're busy kind of doing the nuts and bolts stuff, but let's do something fun. And it's been a great rallying cry in the community. We're a small enough town that the buzz, it's like, it literally is like, you know, the uh, final four in, in the basketball tournament. It's uh, it's hysterical around town right now. That's fantastic. Yeah. We, we, we certainly feel the enthusiasm. Uh, there've been a lot of good press conversation. And of course you guys have gotten a lot of votes, uh, a lot of local activity. Ta- I want to, I, I want to I wanna go back a little ways with you. Um, you guys, uh, you know, some of our submissions come from members of the public. Uh, some of them come from people inside government. Uh, uh, you, you guys, you're the city manager. Uh, I know the city staff has been involved in, in some of this application. Uh, a, a little bit of what you submitted had to do with the, the planning processes in the city. And I, I want to give a chance for some of that to come out uh, because it, it felt like you had done some very original things well over a decade ago. Could we go back to the 04 Bicentennial Plan and, and just talk a little bit about how maybe that set some of the groundwork for you? Yeah, no, I'm happy to do that. And it's great for me to sit here and act like that was all my baby, but it actually predates me. But I certainly know all about it. And quite candidly, um, I'm not a Kent native. Uh, I was in the mid-Atlantic region for about 15, 20 years. And I uh, started looking in this area, and Kent's Bicentennial Plan caught my eye when I was looking at jobs, and so I'm very familiar with it. And I can remember distinctly telling my wife, you know, this is a community. If they could do this, this is a seminal document. This was very early in, in, in sort of the stages where you're starting to hear cities talk about sustainability, and it was this, this document had sustainability front cover to back cover. So I was excited. I was intrigued. And Kent was a, is an interesting town. I mean, it, it's one of those blue-collar university towns. So um, and one thing I will tell you, like you, you mentioned, the Bicentennial Plan has been on the books now um, since 2004, but that's not the first one. There is about every five years before that, the community would get together. And I think having academia in town uh, has something to do with it. They like to study. They like to you know, strategize. So there's, 
there's a lot of exceptional planning work that went on. Now, the bicentennial plan got a lot of attention because <clears throat> it was uh, an enormous amount of community-based effort. Uh, please know, though, saying that, everything about Kent, Kent is a grassroots community. It is just something that is in its DNA. Yeah. Um, and as, a, as an administrator here, you better learn that early because <laughs> it's not a top-down community. It, you know, it's everybody at the table that can join us. Uh, it is a working-class community, so it's not people are working, they're busy, but they still care an awful lot about this place. And so there were hundreds of hours invested in um, what ended up being a national award-winning, the International City Managers Association recognized the Bicentennial Plan for exceptional community engagement and uh, you know, like I said, it, I, I was the lucky guy that showed up and was able to implement a lot of the stuff that's been in there. We often joke about because the construction in town happened so quickly, it felt like it was an overnight success. But I tell people it really was a 20-year overnight success. It's just the construction was very fast right here at the end, a lot of planning. Dave, where'd you, where'd you move from? Well, I spent about 12 years in Alexandria, Virginia, a wonderful town. It's beautiful, uh, yeah. Town, Old Town's a phenomenal city. And then... Um, as we were looking for a change of pace, raising kids and stuff like that, I spent five years in Kingsport, Tennessee, which uh, is actually a really neat part of uh, Northeast Tennessee. It was uh, its brand name, uh, its tagline is the Model City. Um, it was designed um, by a premier architect uh, way back at the turn of the century, and it was it was considered one of about of a dozen cities that he designed around the country. They were supposed to be model cities. So I have had the luxury of working at some pretty cool places. A lot of places where, um, you know, they very early on they kind of figured out a lot of this stuff that we're we're really trying to and to do now and things that, that sort of the themes that are so evident in a lot of your work. Now l- let me ask you, and I'm I'm going to say this and and hang with me because I'm I'm not going to come across negative here. Uh, a lot of times when people think of Ohio. Uh, they don't necessarily think of a place that draws people and attracts people. I, I personally have gotten to spend a lot of time in Ohio and have come to really enjoy it and find, uh, you know, parts of it particularly endearing to me. Um, I'm, I'm wondering just through your eyes as someone coming here, uh, you know, a, a while back, what, what was it that draw you? What was it that brought you there? What was it that, that drew you to that place and made you say like, I, I think I could make, this little town in a state that in many ways struggles, you know, this is going to, this is my home. This is where I want to move my family and be part of what, what was it? Yeah, I know. Right. It was uh, I think the phrase I heard people use, it was a flyover state. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, why, why yeah, Ohio? No, I, yeah. You know, it, it truthfully wasn't on my radar screen professionally, but um, I'll tell you what, I, I sort of, I had an opportunity to do a bunch of training about two months worth of training in Charlottesville, Virginia at the University of Virginia and, and, and a program there for city managers. And I fell in love with college towns. So um, that was definitely on my radar. I was looking at college towns. They have a vibrancy and an energy that is really hard to find anywhere else. And I like that. That's the kind of environment that keeps me motivated every day. So um, now Kent specifically was interesting, right? Because most of us think of Kent, we've got a certain image from 1970. Right. Um, yep. and, and it's not an image that, you know, is, is necessarily a positive image in that respect. I mean, I think the healing has happened, but it's still a sore point in a lot of perspectives of people that lived through that time. It was a traumatic time, and um, uh, hopefully, you know, it helped change the course of a war and bring an end maybe a little sooner to a, a difficult war. But regardless, that's not exactly the brand 
uh, sort of image you're looking for in a community. And I think to many respects, Kent struggled with that for a long, long time. Um, so, you know, for us, though, coming out of Washington, D.C., and, you know, quite candidly, an hour's worth of drive, affordable housing, uh, pace of life, as, as wonderful as D.C. is as a place to visit, it's a really hard place to live in. Um, and so I had that personal experience, and my wife and I were looking around, and Kent had all the great attributes that you'd want to see in a, in a really vibrant place. It just, the pieces were all here, it's just they really hadn't necessarily come together in the way that you would hope to be. And so for me, that was kind of the thing that I thought, well, you know, maybe I can help be that person that just helps put these pieces, kind of shuffle the deck a little bit and get things moving. Because there's some, as I mentioned in that bicentennial plan, there were some wonderful ideas. Uh, all the things that really progressive cities do uh, was on the books. It was just a matter of figuring out how to pay for it um, and how to rally the community, how to change the narrative. Because Kent still has, you, you're absolutely right, Kent's a part of Northeast Ohio. And guess what? That's the Rust Belt. And that's, that area was hit hard with the uh, auto industry. So well, even though Kent has this wonderful university, we still had sort of some industry here that struggled at, during the, that 1990s and, and the 2000s. But at the end of the day, I'll tell you what, nothing creates a sense of urgency like uh, the Great Recession. And so in our case, in Kent's case, it, it really did sort of raise the temperature of time for some bolder actions. We can't just keep waiting for, you know, the, the economy to turn around on its own. We got to get invested and the city's got to be a catalyst and well, with the university partners. Well, talk a little bit about this because I, I found it very interesting how you approach the Great Recession. Um, when a lot of cities, you know, uh, kind of hunkered down or, you know, went to the, uh, you know, went to the Capitol looking for some type of support, uh, you guys seemed like you sat down and asked some hard questions. Talk yeah, a little did. bit about, okay. talk a little bit about that. Cause I, and I particularly want to ask you as a, as, as a city administrator, some of that had to be uncomfortable. I mean, you, you actually kind of open yourself up to a lot of criticism that, that many governments protect themselves from. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you did and what that process was? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And again, I think you'd appreciate it too, given the kind of nature of what you guys like to see in communities. Absolutely. We had, um, so 2006, 2007, I got here in 2005, but it didn't take long. Uh, just a couple of meetings with the budget director to see we were not trending in a good direction. I mean, it was a gradual, you know, death. It wasn't, it was sort of that slow bleed. And, and you're absolutely right. Income tax here is, is kind of how we survive. And in Ohio, it's all about income tax for municipal uh, governments. And, um, you know, the jobs just weren't happening. And so we were seeing that slow decline and we were starting to see a couple years in a row where you're tapping into your reserve funds just to be able to pay your operating bills, which is never a healthy thing. So um, what the council did, and, and it, I thought it was a, it was a act of genius really in hindsight, they created a blue ribbon panel, uh, which spent a year with me and the rest of the staff, literally page by page, kind of going through everything financial that we did. And, and coming up at the end of that with, with an analysis and, a, and sort of a strategy to get us out of the hole. And this um, Blue Ribbon panel was representatives from the community. It, it tended to be people with some financial type background, so bankers and, and, and some, we had some accountants, we had some folks from Kent State, uh, economics type professors. And so we had this blended group that would meet monthly with a city council. So it was a big meeting, it's a public meeting, and there were certainly people in the audience, and we would literally cover 
different topics each month, kind of turning our books inside and out, trying to figure out what could we do. And absolutely, we wanted to continue to do, you know, to drive productivity and efficiency, but that wasn't going to save us. I mean, that wasn't going to be a turnaround. So what this group did, and because they were so business-minded, I think this is where this helped us quite a bit. They said, look, um, some of them were CEOs. They said, look, in our industry, when things get tough, you've got to be part of the solution. And yes, City, you've got five or six million left in the bank that you could keep holding on to and, and hope that, you know, in the next five or six years, you don't spend all that trying to balance your books. Or you could take a chunk of it right now, invest it, and try to drive some change. And um, that, is, that message it was a hard message. And you're right, it was a nervous position for a city manager to some extent. But the math spoke for itself. I mean, you're not going to you can you can cut yourself or save yourself into irrelevance at some point, and I think that's the absurdity of it. Was we can't get rid of police and fire, right? I mean, yeah, we can trim this program and some of the stuff along the periphery, although that's fundamentally changing kind of the quality of life in our community. And so that's kind of people drew a line in the sand and they said, you know what? Let's go down with a fight. You know, we're not going to go down easy. Let's let's take a risk. We've been talking about this downtown revitalization for 20 plus years. We've got great plans on the books. The community says they're behind it. Let's put it to the test. And it was a lot of sweat, you know, a lot of sleepless nights um, early on because this deal didn't just happen with a wave of a magic wand. There was a whole lot of partnerships, and that's the only way we could have done it. Um, we don't have the kind of money to pull all of this together, but us plus Kent State plus people in town and our other partners, basically anybody that we could rally around the sort of the future of Kent, um, we, we worked them into the project, really, and they're, they're cash in the deal. They, everybody had skin in the game. And the beauty of that, I have to say, it's very difficult. Partnerships can be, can be wonderful things, but, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, it certainly would be easier to be a benevolent dictator, right? I mean, right, right. just tell people what you want. But, you know, if you can survive that process when there's skin in the game by that many people, it's sort of that old failure is not an option. And it, we, I remember feeling like we got to that point and we no longer, everybody's in it enough. This is, we'll figure it out. And um, yeah, there was a lot of twists and turns because please know that Kent really is, uh, I mean, our medium income is 28,000. Right. So we're right. not a wealthy community. I mean, this is a community that has a, a lot of people below the poverty line at or you know below the poverty line. So we're, we're not some of the places that have the kind of resources that just throw resources at, at, at it and, and, until it works. We had to be super smart and super strategic. So um, it, it, felt, kind of it felt a little bit like the opposite of what a, a standard government committee was. But in a sense, you, know, you see a lot of committees get together so that no one's really in the end responsible, right? Like we all kind of agree on this and everybody's got, you know, a say and, and you kind of water things down. Your approach seemed like, and you used the term skin in the game, it, it seemed like what you did is brought a whole bunch of people to the table and said, all right, we're in this together. Roll up your yeah. sleeves. Who's going to do what? A am, I, yeah. am I tracking that right? You are. You are. And it, a lot of times it started with, and it sounds kind of silly, but it was almost like it starts with moral commitments. I mean, you're not asking for people necessarily with money right out of the gate. Right. But you're saying, you know what? We want you at the table. We want you committed one way or another to Kent's future because you're all, you've been an important part of our past. You're an important part of our present. We want you to be part of our future. Now, all of this also works because Kent is a good size for that to work. I mean, I, I look at our, our neighbors and friends in Akron. I look at our neighbors and friends in Cleveland. 
those are big challenges, right? I mean, those right. are big cities. Big, right. It, and Kent's still small enough at roughly 28, 30,000 population, you know, 10 square miles. It, it, it's still very much that small town feel. So you can, you know, with a lot of work, you can rally a community with impact, I think, at that point. So sure. I must admit, I don't want to sound like uh, we're, you know, we're geniuses or anything. It, it really, a lot of it just had to do with the, the local dynamics, the size that we had, um, and the type of partners. I mean, the but, university world, it just coincidentally happened that about that time in the state of Ohio, the chancellor of the university system was saying, universities, this is a call to arms. We want you to help to, to drive economic productivity in your cities. So, you know, that message was coming from both locally and from Columbus, which, hey, you know, that, that helped. Yeah. It, it feels like good old-fashioned community building is what it felt like. Yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about being a university town. I mean, you mentioned that earlier as being a draw. Um, talk a little bit about the, the interplay between you and uh, the city, the community, and the university. Well, as I noted already, the unique history here sort of set it off on a path that was maybe not the kind of path that I saw in some other communities like Chapel Hill, North Carolina, or Charlottesville, Virginia, some of these cities that really have embraced the whole college town gown thing. Kent, I, I think, you know, just sort of unconsciously, I don't think it was a conscious decision, sort of just kept a little bit of distance in terms of that interplay, uh, that relationship. I mean, don't get me wrong, most of our businesses in town probably were here because of Kent State for, in many respects. Um, and certainly Kent State uh, students and faculty are, are, you know, community members. but. It was more sort of that peaceful coexistence I, I would describe for many years. And I know from my perspective, based on what I'd seen in other cities, it was very much an underperforming college town. So, um, you know, it's like so many things in life. If you try to be half and half, you don't quite get there. So yeah. that sense of urgency that was driven by the economic circumstances, uh, we kind of looked at each other and said, we got to be all in. I mean, no more. We, we can't be sort of a college town and sort of a hometown. We, we're going to be Kent, one Kent. That's it. And we're going to be, that's going to mean room for everybody. There's room for college students. There's room for retirees. There's room for young families. I mean, it was sort of, it's, we're not going to brand it strictly as a college town, but it's absolutely a college community. And, um, you know, a new president rolled into town about that time at Kent State. He absolutely agreed with that 100%. He was a wonderful champion. Uh, around town, which was important, uh, but, and he started spending money right along with me in small bits and pieces early on until we got a kind of that critical mass of investment happening, and as, as people started to see that, they're like, hey, you know, this is different. So those early wins were big for us, a couple little projects here and there doing some stuff, and, um, you know, I'm sure you've seen it in other places. Momentum is one of those things. It's very fickle, but when it's on your side, man, it's a wonderful wind at your back. Right. I, I, I want to ask you about the recent debate over uh, the sanctuary city issue. And I'm not really interested in the issue itself. I'm more interested in how the community discussed it and, and, uh, and, and came to some type of consensus on it. it. It's one of those things, it's one of those issues where, uh, you know, I, I think an objective person can see strong arguments on, on all sides 
Um, it seems like one of those maybe unresolvable things from a personal level, but, but you all, uh, you know, being a college town and, and being also a blue collar community, uh, I, I, I'm imagining how this played out and I, I just like to hear your take on it. Yeah. You've got your finger right on the pulse of that one. So, um, philosophically, everybody top to bottom on our council and even at Kent state, I think, you know, immigrant and welcoming, friendly, compassionate city, all those things is of high value here. I mean, we, frankly, we advertise it. I mean, what other small town in, in Ohio has the kind of diversity that we have international diversity, kind of this global village in this little town. I mean, when I lived in Alexandria, it had, a, I think, 100 or 90 to 100 different languages spoken in the high school. It certainly spoke to their diversity. But you kind of get that in a big city, big metropolitan area like D.C. You don't expect that in a little place like Kent, Ohio, but we have a lot of that here. And so for us, there was never – it's a no-brainer. I mean, we're here to support and welcome immigrants and international folks. That being said – I give council a lot of credit because they didn't want to just go down a rabbit hole on that one and kind of just philosophically have an argument that, like you said, is almost irreconcilable because what do you do with that? So for all practical purposes, they made some very public statements. They wrote some letters, some open letters. They sent council, uh, Congress and, and their delegation, you know, their opinions about the sanctuary city was we value uh, our international peoples and we're going to make them a top priority. Um, we're not going to get into a political shouting match, which just seemed to be over the sanctuary city. We're just trying to position one person in one corner and someone else in another. And so they kind of just stepped outside that box altogether and said, if you want to argue that, you're fine. We're going to keep supporting our people, but we're not going to go on record, you know, with a, whether it's sanctuary label or not. To us, council was, was feeling that was more a a label from Washington, D.C. that really was meaningless here. So yeah. to their credit, they took a very practical way to deal with that. Yeah. T- tell me a little bit about where you're struggling. I, I, there's so much to admire here, and I, I, I love the story. I, I think there's some lessons, though, too, in, in where the city, you know, has, has difficulty and, and the things you're trying to do to overcome them now. What, what would you say is your biggest challenge at the moment? Well, look, you know— uh, I was looking at my tax income tax receipts this morning, and uh, we've had four straight years of growth, but now we've, for the first time in a long time, we've seen two back-to-back months of decline. So, you know, it's early yet, uh, but I get worried about that. That's, you know, our ability to do what we want to do as a community depends on that income stream. And, it's, and we talked about the downtown revitalization from the start, not as an end point, but as a platform for the kind of economic growth and support that would allow us to do sort of the social programs that don't pay for themselves. I mean, we said that from the beginning. It's, this is a community that cares. Um, it's a, it truly is, and we're working on the compassionate city designation, actually, so it's very fresh in my mind. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a compassionate city that wants to help people. We have a lot of social service programming, human service programming, which – is great, and you often see it in bigger cities because they have bigger resources to tap into. We don't have that, but we still want to do it. So for us, this economic activity is as much to be able to do the values that don't pay for themselves. So, um, you know, money is never enough. Um, We're starting to deal with the issues of success. Things like parking is getting tighter, and traffic is getting a little heavier. 
Um, we've tried to be very intentional with making sure our downtown was all about walkability, and frankly, I call it sitability, because for us, Kent, the beauty of Kent, our greatest draw is its people. So if, if, if our downtown was designed right, it's the chance for people to walk around and see other people that they wouldn't necessarily, you know, it's people watching. I right, mean, it's more right. than anything. And so that's certainly a big part of our downtown, um, but you still, there's still vehicles and cars, and we, so we're dealing with that stuff. Um, I, we're noticing a little bit now that we've seen so much investment, you know, we're very careful. We've, we've restored a lot of buildings. We haven't just done everything new. We've historical preservation is important value here too, but that's a friction point that, that comes up as change happens. So sure. uh, there's stress, stress in the neighborhoods too is, I mean, we're mostly built out community, but the, the pockets that are left kind of unbuilt are, are now getting attention because Kent is more investment worthy in, in a way. And um, so people are seeing some of that green space, uh, not so green anymore. And that's a stress point. And green Kent is very green. And um, we're home of Davy Tree, which is a big national, international green company. Um, our sustainability goals were heavily um, laden with a lot of green goals. We did green design and all kinds of stuff that uh, we kind of jokingly say, you know, in, in a way, we were doing sustainability before sustainability was cool, but that's fine with us. That sure. doesn't matter. I mean, uh, so anyways, that's, uh, those are continue to be stress points. Uh, you just... Momentum can change at any time, so I, that's what keeps me up at night. You have, have you ever been to Pensacola, Florida? I have not. Okay. I just wondered if you had any thoughts about, uh, about your competition this round. I know, right? Yeah. Well, I'm hoping – I know this. I know they got a lot better weather, so <laughs> I'm, I, I can't beat them on that, but maybe they'll be enjoying the beach so much they won't vote. That's my only uh, sure, sure. My hope. Well, as, <laughs> as, a, as a final thing, I wanted to ask you about the Cuyahoga River. I, I did not realize that, that it ran uh, through the city. And uh, you, uh, it's interesting because you, you brought up Kent State earlier and the Cuyahoga is one of those, you know, catching on fire yeah. kind of things that we think about, uh, just, you know, the bad image you have to overcome. Talk a little bit about the environmental project that was done to open that river up and, and what that has meant to, uh, to the community. Yes, and, and uh, it really is a great story in that respect. PBS did a series uh, documentary on a, I, I want to say the Burning River or something. I can't remember the exact name, but it was like a comeback story of the the decade or something. You know, it was one of those examples where, like you described, it started in most people's mind as the river that caught on fire, uh, largely up closer to Cleveland, but certainly the, the entire river was not where it needed to be. And, uh, you know, uh, through the years, the various communities had put dams along the river. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that made sense at a certain point in time in history. I know Kent was born as a mill town, and so I'm sure some of that damming helped drive the grist mills and stuff like that. But over years, what that did was really kind of take the oxygen out of the water. And, of course, all the other uh, inflow problems that, that occurred didn't just compounded it. So it was a river in distress. Um, but over the course of the 90s and the 2000s, uh, it, it has done a really 180-degree turnaround. And I know we have uh, we measure the aquatic life or, and uh, the fish counts every year. They do all those things. And every year it continues to get better and better. It's a very healthy river right now. And um, what really, what Kent, and this predates me, so I can't get credit for this one, even if I tried to take it. Um, 
they saw early on that one of the best things you can do is to restore that oxygen in the river and let the river go back to its more natural flow patterns. And so Kent was one of the first, if not the first, uh, to remove a dam in, in that section of our, I don't know, the lower or middle Cuyahoga, I forget which exact title it is, but um, pretty dramatically, after, shortly thereafter that, you saw all those positive attributes return in terms of oxygen levels and fish and aquatic life. So it became sort of a poster child for what needed to be done throughout the rest of the uh, Cuyahoga, and sure enough, they followed suit. And uh, I'm proud to say, again, it's not me uh, that did it, but uh, that particular project is even referenced in international books uh, as they teach best practices for uh, urban stream and river recovery. Uh, they, they referenced the Kent Project, the Kent Dam Removal. So we, we kept like a memorial-looking dam kind of off to the side that has a little waterfalls just to sort of honor the past, but the channel of the river now is restored back to where it should be. And there's a little park down there, and uh, people can kind of hang out by the river and, uh, like I say, just kind of enjoy a little bit of the past and the present. So. Well, the pictures of people uh, canoeing and kayaking were inspiring. Yeah, yeah, it's been a great... Uh, I still want to do more with that. We haven't figured out how to fund a full-fledged, um, you know, a park in the river, uh, the Whitewater Park, like some of the communities have done. I know South Bend and some of these other places have done some stuff, and I'm like, oh, we really want to do that. We even hired a, a great contractor out of uh, Colorado, and they gave us a plan for how to do a Whitewater Park through downtown Kent. But unfortunately, I haven't figured out how to pay for that one yet. Right, right. Wow, that would be great. Dave, um, congratulations. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm, I'm really excited about Kent. And even if uh, you don't wind up the winner this year, I, I sure would like to find a way to make it to Kent sometime because it seems like a fantastic place. So uh, thank you for your application. Thanks for all the work that you've done. And, and thanks for being part of the Strongest Town Contest. Well, keep raising the bar. We're, we're happy to try to, to keep up with you guys. Well, we'll do what we can. We really appreciate all right. it. All right. You take okay, care. Thanks, Talk too. to you. Bye. Bye. To vote for Kent, uh, facing off against Pensacola, go to strongtowns.org forward slash strongest town. Cast your vote today and, uh, and be heard. Help us identify the strongest town in, uh, in the world, I think is what we're looking at now. Uh, so go to the website and, and help us out. Thanks, everybody. Taking risk is a necessity to becoming rich. It's also a necessity to go bankrupt. Bill, 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 Bill. That's the story. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Just to echo what you said, there are no silver bullet solutions. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. The window is not always open, but if nobody's pushing, then once the window opens, there'll be no chance to go through. I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah.